Happy Valentine's Day. Whether you love Valentine's Day or hate it, today is certainly a good day to talk about love, what love is in all its variety and what it isn't. Church is also a good place to talk about love, and I bet you've talked about love several times on Sunday mornings. I've heard it today alone. But it seems like a slightly different sort of love than what we talk about on Valentine's Day, doesn't it? I mean, we in church aren't usually promoting lovey-dovey Valentine's Day behavior when we talk about love, roses and dinners out and all that. So there's some sort of difference there. And then there's the whole love your neighbor, love your enemies thing that you do regularly hear from churches, but that sort of language is not used so much on Valentine's Day. If churches had something to say about it, instead of jewelry ads on TV before Valentine's Day, they'd probably have more of those help these children for just 75 cents a day kind of ads. Because the kind of love we talk about in our congregations seems a little bit different than the sort of love we focus on on Valentine's Day. Today I'd like to talk about love in a way that might help to clarify what I think we all, at least unconsciously, understand, that there are different kinds of love, each appropriate in different settings. It's hard for us English speakers, I think, because we have this one word, love, and it's supposed to describe so many different things. If we want it to mean different ways of loving along the continuum, we have to add some sort of qualifier to it, like romantic love or compassionate love or brotherly love, or things like, I'll always love you, but right now I don't really like you. Or, I don't like you in that way, like, like, like you. It's really confusing in English. But luckily, it is not quite so confusing in ancient Greek. <laughs> and so we're going to use Greek today to talk about love in a more thorough way. There are at least three ways to say the English word love in ancient Greek, each of the words pointing to a different aspect of what love means to all of us. Plato did some exploring of the three Greek terms himself, a little compare and contrast, but really the plain definitions of the terms are intriguing enough to help us explore more deeply the nuances of what we English speakers cover with just the one term. So let's go ahead and see what those three Greek words are for love, and then take a look at each of these terms as they relate to us in our congregational living. The first term in Greek for love is eros, and eros is the sort of love that we celebrate on Valentine's Day, romantic love, love that is about attraction between people with the intent to wander off in pairs, if you know what I mean. And although this is certainly the kind of love that we generally celebrate on Valentine's Day, the sort of love that inspires crooning and going to the chapel and the wistful looking out of windows... It's not so much a churchy definition of love, except at weddings, I suppose. Not that you don't find eros in churches, for good or for ill. I used to serve the Sugarloaf congregation of UUs up in Germantown for a number of years, and there I knew of at least two couples who met in church and subsequently married, and it wasn't a very big church, just 100 members or so. In fact, one of them egregiously used his position as greeter to move himself towards his happy fate. <laughs> so if you're a visitor today, you should be forewarned <laughs> that you may have just met your future spouse when you came in the door. 
Of course, many, many couples meet for the first time in church, a place where we come to explore our common values and our priorities, so that makes a lot of sense. But I'll state for the record that as fun as it is to have couples emerge out of your congregation, that's not really what church is for. Eros can be found in our churches in not-so-fun ways as well. We are all too painfully aware of the sexual abuse of vulnerable populations in our churches, most shockingly by clergy. But there are other misuses of Eros in congregations as well, when power differentials and the generally friendly atmosphere of our churches lead to bad decisions and misunderstandings between congregants and sometimes even between congregants and clergy. It's tricky, this Eros thing, especially in churches. And I think one of the reasons it is tricky is because there's lots of room in our congregations for certain kinds of love, but not a lot of room, in my opinion, for the kind of romantic love described by the term Eros. But it's easy to get confused when your language only provides the one word for something so complex as love. The second Greek term for love is philia. Philia may also well be called brotherly love. It's the sort of love that people feel towards their family members and especially towards their friends. People in our day and age often refer to this sort of love as platonic love, although technically platonic love is a complicated, slightly weird notion of Plato's that has something to do with something slightly different than philia, but at any rate... Philia is the sort of love you do find a lot of in church, especially in smaller churches. So maybe it's true for this one. It's the sort of love formed when people become friends or so close that they feel like family. There are, of course, so many advantages to a church that has a healthy dose of philia. It's nice to be a friendly church. Visitors love it when they're greeted warmly and made to feel comfortable and at home. Beyond that, church members often are honestly really good friends to each other, spending time together outside of church, checking in with each other when there are problems, planning activities together, and just generally having fun together. I would bet that many people here at UUCL would say that they like it here because of friends they have made. Because churchgoers count so much on their friendliness and their friendships, the next statement I make may be hard to hear, but I'd like to offer it as food for thought. I believe that philia, like eros, is not really why the church is here. Philia is not the sort of love that should form the foundation of a congregation, although it often does. And I say that because philia, when it forms the basis of church life, is somewhat problematic. Here are a few reasons why philia is not a good foundation to a congregation. Both Christian and Unitarian Universalist congregations promote the idea that we should love our neighbors. But I've had many people tell me that the love your neighbor command keeps them out of churches because the concept often gets translated into the idea that everyone in church should be friends with everyone else that the church is in fact formed by the practice of everyone being friends with everyone else. But if you come in the doors and find out that you don't want to be friends with everyone in your church, does that mean you can't be a part of that church? Is friendship the basis for why we are nice to each other in church? 
why we are concerned for each other, why we want folks to come back each week. Church life is no different from regular life in that it is filled with people of all different stripes and inclinations, and it is a certainty that even in a friendly church, no one person will be friends with everyone else. So it's important that we don't, in our churches, we don't think we're being kind or friendly to each other because we are friends, and just leave it at that. The idea or command to love your neighbor is not referring to the sort of love called philia, but to another kind of love that I'll talk about in a minute. A similar problem with a philia-based church arises when the church wants to grow beyond the size of a large family, say to grow over 100 members or so. As we just talked about, for a philia-based church, growth is inherently problematic because at some point, if a congregation welcomes new folks, you're going to let someone in that someone else doesn't really like or want to be friends with. In a philia-based church, what do you do? Do you grit your teeth and force yourself to be friendly Or do you limit your outreach to new people because you're afraid you won't like them? And because you do so like the folks who are already inside your doors? Either way, you're not being an authentic church, but rather more of a social club. A congregation, especially a Unitarian Universalist one, does have a mandate to love its neighbors. But again, that mandate is not talking about the sort of love called philia. The commandment is not, be friends with your neighbors, but something bigger than that. This may not be a problem here, this aversion to outsiders, but it is a very real problem for congregations of this size, and it's something to watch out for as you go forward. A third problem with philia-based congregations is one that I saw at Sugarloaf while I was there, truth be told, and one I've seen at other small UU congregations around the area. The people there were friends, oftentimes, and their understanding of how to take care of each other was to care for each other as friends and family do. People would take extraordinary measures for each other. Taking each other into their homes in the face of a medical emergency or eviction, helping each other to move or to make substantial home improvements, helping to raise each other's children, giving rides to church every Sunday, and these are, these are beautiful acts of love. They are. But they are acts of philia love, the kind of love that you show to family. And philia, as I've suggested, should not be the foundation of a church. When you extend the sort of love you'd show to friends or family to an entire congregation, then people get exhausted and disillusioned. It's the wrong love. But many small congregations fall into the trap of expressing philia love when they should be aiming for something higher. And in so doing, they wear themselves out and forget why they're attempting that loving work in the first place. Philia is not the foundation for a church any more than Eros is. There is actually an even bigger sort of love that should be the foundation of a church. So what sort of love is that? What's the kind of love that would be a good foundation? As an alternative to philia, I want to introduce you to or remind you of the third type of love called agape. Agape is the type of love that one feels for all of humanity, 
the sort of love that makes you feel linked to all of life. Agape is sometimes called disinterested love. It's not called that because it is love that is not very interesting. And it doesn't mean that you are not interested in those that you love in this way. It can be called disinterested love because when you love someone with agape love, you love that person simply because he or she is, without regard for who he or she is. You love them without self-interest. That person doesn't have to love you back or be your friend or be fun to be with. He or she simply has to be in order to be deserving of your agape love. If this concept sounds familiar, you don't have to look much farther than our Unitarian Universalist principles for another way of looking at agape love. Our first principle, and you can see your principles in the hymnal in the opening pages, our first principle promotes the idea that every single human being is inherently worthy. Inherently worthy, no matter how strange they seem or how new they are to us. Inherently worthy, no matter what our society tells us about what makes someone worthy and what doesn't. Inherently worthy, even if we don't love them as a lover or as a brother, even if we don't really like them at all. Inherently worthy, even when they aren't demonstrating their worth to themselves or to anyone else. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote of agape love, and his description can't be beat, so I'll give it to you here. So please excuse the non-inclusive language. He described agape as love in which the individual seeks not his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Agape does not begin by discriminating between worthy and unworthy people or any qualities people possess. It begins by loving others for their sakes. It is an entirely neighbor-regarding concern for others, which discovers the neighbor in every man it meets. Therefore, agape makes no distinction between friends and enemy. It is directed towards both. Agape love should be the foundation of a congregation. Not eros and not philia. Both of those are based on whether or not you like a person or really like a person or find them worthy of your attention. Agape loves just because it does, just because it's the right way, the most sacred way to relate to a fellow human being. It is love that chooses to be. It is love that's a verb. King writes, In speaking of love at this point, we are not referring to some sentimental or affectionate emotion. It would be nonsense to urge men to love their oppressors in an affectionate sense. Love, in the agape sense, means understanding, a redemptive goodwill. I would like to expand here to say that as nonsensical as it would be to ask people to feel affectionate towards their oppressors, it is equally nonsensical to expect us to be friends with every person who comes through the doors of our congregations or every person sitting next to us in a pew. 
It is also nonsensical and exhausting for a growing church to care for every person coming through its doors in the same way we would care for them as if they were our best friends or our family. But in a congregation with agape at your foundation, you don't have to be friends or family to have either understanding or redemptive goodwill for each other. You don't have to make friendship the requirement for your caring for each other. When we love each other with agape love, we take care of each other whether we are friends or not, whether we deserve it or not. This practice makes a beloved community, and beloved community is what we are practicing in Unitarian Universalism. This is our holy work as a church, to create a beloved community that is undergirded with the sacred power of agape love. Agape love, an understanding, a redeeming goodwill for all human beings, regardless of the ease with which we understand them or the level to which they are worthy or unworthy of our goodwill. We don't really come to church to fall in love. We don't even come to church to make friends. We come to church to create, practice, and expand beloved community because we have determined that this is the path to peace. And we need love to do that work. Not the kind of love that makes us like each other, but the kind of love that makes us care for each other. So may we continue to be here at the UU Church of Loudoun and far beyond. Happy Valentine's Day.